0: I trust you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning. Um, uh, we're going to be this morning in the book of John, John chapter 20. We're going to just look at the evening of Easter Sunday, uh, Easter, the evening of Resurrection Day. And we want to just think about the fact that Christ is risen. Our worship experience, as I've already said this morning, is certainly different than what we had planned and expected at the start of the year. And yet our message is the same, and that is that Christ is risen, and although we're separated from one another, we're not able to worship together. We are not separated from the Lord Jesus Christ because He is alive and He is here with us through His Spirit. And so today, as we as we meet in this place and meet in our various places of worship in our homes around the land, um, as I was thinking about this morning, I think that we are we've. We are, as a people, we, are, we, we desperately need good news, that the effect of news is important in our lives. Good news is important in our lives. It lifts our spirit. It raises our hopes. It gives us strength to be able to go on. I think we all want good news. Like if someone were to come up to you today and say, hey, do you want the good news or the bad news? Probably all of us would say, no, give me the good news. Uh, not many, if any, would say, yeah, give me the bad news. Just give me, a, you know, Let let today become, uh, just put a damper on today. Give me the bad news. No, we want the good news. I was thinking about the news that we heard this week. There's been the news out of New York where the governor of the state of New York has has been on the news regularly, daily, telling us that it looks like the corona curve is flattening and it's beginning to, new cases of the viruses are beginning to go down. And certainly that is hopeful news. And then from Wall Street, uh, as the week went on, and as that news continued, it seemed like Wall Street was beginning to rally, and so there's economic hopeful news. And then on Thursday morning, as I was getting ready for, to go into the office and uh, do some study, uh, listening to the news, and it said that there was a a pharmaceutical company testing a vaccine for the virus. And we say, man, that is hopeful news. All of these different announcements just this past week reminds me of an announcement that President Nixon made in 1969 when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. And the president announced, this is the greatest day in history. And then Billy Graham, who's at home in heaven today, eloquently reminded the president the next day that yes this is a great day but there have been greater days than this three in particular christmas the birth of jesus good friday the death of god's son and resurrection sunday the day that christ came out of the tomb alive And so today we're going to be looking from Scripture at why Easter is the best news ever, why you and I need to hear the good news of Easter again and again. And today I want to just consider the outcomes, four outcomes in particular, regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a world that's filled with fear, where there's suffering and sickness and death abounding, where... Uncertainty for the future seems to uh, be mixed with hope and uh, despair. There is good news today and the good news doesn't come from a vaccine or doesn't come from an economic news or doesn't come from a cure. It comes from an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem. Our text this morning is John chapter 20 verses 19 through 23. I want to read these four verses Uh, this morning and I want us to consider uh, four outcomes uh, regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so beginning with verse 19 the Word of God says this on the evening of that first day of the week the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews and Jesus came and stood among them and said to them peace be with you and when he had said this he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad. They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. As the, Lord, as the Father has sent me, or, and so Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so let's consider what the Scriptures are saying to us this morning. Four outcomes regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is risen, the first thought I want us to meditate and think about is that Jesus Christ is present. Jesus Christ is present. Verse 19 begins giving us the time and the location. The time is the Bible says is the evening, that is the evening of Resurrection Day. And think of all that has already happened this day. As we read in our Scripture earlier in the service in Matthew chapter 28, several of the women, they went to the tomb uh, in preparation with the spices to give Jesus a proper burial. Instead, when they got there, they were met with an earthquake and an angel, and the stone was rolled away, and the angel said, He is not here. Go tell His disciples. Peter and John, when they heard the news from the women, they ran. They raced to the tomb and they raced into the tomb and they saw the same thing: that the stone was rolled away, that the body of Jesus wasn't there. Instead, the grave clothes were set aside in the tomb. Jesus had met that morning with Mary Magdalene in the uh, garden cemetery, and he announced and introduced, uh, assured her that he was alive, and he too gave her the instructions to go tell the disciples. And where were the disciples on that evening? The Bible tells us that they were in a room with the door locked, filled with fear. Inside a room with the door locked, filled with fear. And I was just thinking about that. Even this morning, I was just thinking about that. Whenever Christ is outside, fear fills the space whenever we leave Christ outside fear begins to fill the space the Bible says that the doors were locked because they were afraid now think about the doors were locked literally it means that the doors were barred Do you remember when uh, you were younger and you had your brother or sister around the house and you didn't want them to come into your room what did you do? You barred the door. You'd close your door. You'd move your dresser in front of the door. You'd push a desk in front of the door. You'd put a clothes hamper. And if you couldn't do that, you'd probably take toys and maybe some tacks. And you'd stick them on the floor. Because if they were going to come in, they were going to pay the price. That's what the disciples were doing. They were barring the door. They didn't want anybody to come in. And notice the action words in verse 19 and 20. Notice the action words in verse 19 and 20. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible says that the doors were locked, the disciples were there for fear, and Jesus came. He stood among them. He spoke to them. He said to them. Verse 20, He showed them. Jesus came. He stood. He spoke. He showed I find those words to be significant words. Jesus wasn't just messing with the minds of the disciples. He wasn't playing with their emotions. He wasn't toying with their faith. He wasn't giving them a false hope. Hey, did you see him? No, did you see him? No, I didn't see him. Did you see? No, he was, he came to them where they were. He met them. He stood among them. He showed himself to them. He spoke to them. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples on that day, he wants us this day to know him and to love him and to trust him and to follow him. And so Jesus showed up. He stood among them. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus didn't have to knock on the door. He didn't have to wait for the guys inside to unbar the door so Jesus could come in. He didn't have to stand outside the door and give a secret password, say, hey, let me in. Here's the password. He just showed up. He just moved into their midst and he spoke to them. You say, why is that so important? Ken? why are you making such a big deal of this? A couple of thoughts this week as I was meditating on this passage. And the first thought is this, is that Jesus can go where nowhere else can go. Jesus can go where no one else can go. Now think about your life. Jesus is not restricted in any way. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can enter into the very depths of your personhood, to the deepest part of your being. Jesus can go there. I remember, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago or so, working with a young man who looked at me and he said, you know what, he said, God can't forgive me for this. He would never tell me what he did, but he was absolutely convinced in his mind that God could never forgive him for whatever that was. And I just want to say to you this morning, this is that because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, he can go where nowhere can go. And that part that you're keeping sealed off and locked away from anyone else, Jesus Christ can enter into that place in your life. As I was thinking about this pandemic that has been been, um, occupying our thoughts and minds for the past, I don't know, month or a month and a half here in the United States, uh, there's this thought that has been just been going through my mind and it's just becoming more and more crystal clear. And the thought is this, is that just like the stone couldn't keep Jesus in the grave, the door, the locked doors couldn't keep Jesus out of the room. The, lo- the, tone, the stone couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb and the locked doors couldn't G- keep Jesus out of the room. And so even this morning, Jesus is here with you in your midst. And Although the coronavirus has caused us to separate for a period of time, the virus can't separate us from Christ. The virus can't separate us from his forgiveness. The virus can't separate us from his love. The virus can't separate us from his presence in our lives. And Jesus Christ, the living Christ, the risen Christ is here with us. Jesus can go where no one else can go, and Jesus can do what no one else can do. This is why it's important. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus walked through the, do- through the, through the walls. He just stood among them. We can't do that, but Jesus can. And, and the, the, truth of that real- the truth of this reality is simply this, is that where our abilities stop, we can't walk through a wall. We can't do that. Where our abilities stop, Jesus goes on. Where our resources run out, Jesus goes on. We can go on and on with that kind of analogy. Whatever we stop, wherever we're forced to stop, Jesus is able to keep on going. This is the truth from a Resurrection Sunday that Jesus is present. He is able to do and he's able to go where no one else can go and do. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know that he wants us to know that today. He wanted his disciples then to know him, to love him, to trust him, to follow him. And he wants you and I to do the same today, to know him, to trust him, to love him, to follow him. And so in order to do that, he came. He stood among them. He showed them. He spoke. How oh, I desperately want that for this truth to be for us today. That we would experience the living Jesus that we would, this Easter Sunday morning would not be just another Sunday morning where we hear the resurrection story again and we're reminded that Jesus came out. Of t- no, that this Easter Sunday morning that we would draw near to Christ and Christ would draw near to us and that we would have Jesus meet us at our point of fear and that he would help us like no one else can. That Jesus is drawing you to himself today. My hope and my prayer is that this Easter Uh, Morning, this resurrection day that truth of knowing who Christ is the reality of his presence would become real to you would become more real to me because Jesus is risen he is present the second outcome because Jesus is risen he brings peace he brings peace look again at verses 19 and 21 two times Jesus speaks to the disciples and he says, peace be with you. Now, notice, remember the, the context, the condition, the emotional state of the disciples that day. The Bible says that they were filled with fear. I think it is fear... I, I believe it is fear, my life, where I have uh, most needed to experience the peace in the presence of Christ. My fear. Fear of not being enough. Fear of being inadequate. Fear of being rejected. The fear of the church not thriving The fear of of not having anything to say that would be of help to people. And so, hundreds of times, quite possibly thousands of times in in my life, I've prayed, Lord, help me. And the word from God comes back, fear not. Fear not. I'm with you. I've been reading... uh, in the book of Isaiah this spring for my personal devotions and all this book has become so tre- uh, such a precious book. Every book of the scriptures is, is wonderful but this book is just, God in his goodness and his grace has just been allowing this book to just become more and more precious to me. And over and over, God in his word to his people who are uh, suffering, who are gonna be suffering in captivity, his message is, fear not. And the reason, I am with you. I will help you. I will sustain you. I am the creator, God. I have spoken this beforehand. Who else can tell you beforehand what will come to be? God, over and over and over again, wants us to know him. And when we know him, his peace begins to take away the fear. Two times Jesus says, peace Be with you. Verse 20, he does something. He showed them. He showed them what? He showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his hands and his side. He said, why does John include this information for us? Why did Jesus show these fear-filled disciples after he said, peace with you, peace be with you, why did he show them his hands and his side? I think it was this. Jesus was simply saying to his disciples this. The peace that you need, I have purchased with my own blood. The peace that you so desperately need, I have purchased with my own blood. It is uh, the peace that, that Christ provides has been a purchased peace. It it's just not a, a peace that just, it just it pulls it out of the air. No, it's a peace that was secured at the cross. I want to spend just a few moments thinking about this peace here this morning. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 and 20, the apostle Paul writes, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, that is through Jesus Christ... To reconcile to himself, to God the Father, all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? Making peace by his blood, by the blood of his cross. The scripture is very clear that for God, it pleased God for all the fullness of God to dwell in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, was fully God, fully man at the same time. And it pleased the Father that through Jesus Christ, that he would reconcile all things to himself, whether heaven or on earth. How? By the blood of his cross. Through that work of the cross, through his, his pierced hands, who is uh, the side that had been, that had been uh, torn asunder. Notice what this verse tells us here in Colossians. This verse in Colossians tells us that we're just not a bunch of good people trying our very best to find God. Oh no, that's not our condition. Our condition is that we were not seeking God. Our condition was that we were enemies of God. Our condition is that we are rebels against God. And God initiated reconciliation by making peace through the blood of God. Of Jesus Christ and that is what Jesus Christ was showing his disciples when he showed them that's what Jesus Christ was saying to his disciples when he showed them his hands and side on that resurrection evening his peace is a purchased peace his peace is a provided peace now think about the disciples what that meant for them on that evening and what it means for us this morning Peter was in that room And he had so arrogantly boasted on Thursday evening, Lord, I'm going to die for you. These other scoundrels, they might flee, but I'm going to die for you. And Peter's the one who denied him three times. All the disciples in that room had forsaken him. Very easily, Jesus could have walked into that room and he could have reminded them of their, their sore failure on Uh, Friday morning uh, when they had denied and fled him, he very easily could have walked into the room and put in his finger and said, you guys are a bunch of scoundrels. You're, You're good for nothing. You're failures. You're misfits. I'm finished with you. He could have walked into that room and said, shame be upon you. But that's not what Jesus did. He walked in and he said, peace be with you. And what kind of peace Is God bringing through His Son, Jesus Christ? What kind of peace did Jesus Christ purchase at the cross? Well, we know first of all there's peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified. The wrath and the justice of God was satisfied fully in Jesus Christ at the cross. Jesus Christ bore our sin, both the penalty and the responsibility of it, are in his death, and the result is, is that by faith, when, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your faith in him, you put your full trust. It's not, Jesus and I'm gonna try really hard to clean up my life. It's not, I believe what Jesus did on Good Friday and, and I'm gonna do my very best from now on. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. When I put my faith and my trust in him, the Bible says that we have peace with God. And God is no longer a, a judge who is uh, uh, rendering a verdict against us. No, He's coming to us as a loving Father, as an adopting Father, peace with God. Do you know peace this morning? Do you have peace with God? There's some of you, you have not yet put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is outside of your life, and what is missing is the peace of God in your life. And so today I'm asking you to come to him. Oh, there's peace, peace with ourselves. How many of us live with the memories of our past failures, of the things that we said and did, or the things that we should have said and should have done, but we didn't do. And we have, our lives are filled with, marked by days of decision and days of regret. Oh, if only I could go back and do that over again, or if I could only have that day, I would do things differently. And our conscience condemns us. In Hebrews chapter nine, verse fourteen, the Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ purifies our conscience. Think about that—the peace of a purified, cleared conscience. How many of us labor under the misery of guilty, of a guilty, uh, defiled, uh, condemning conscience? I think of that young man. Ten years ago, God could never forgive me for whatever that was. And he carries that with him today, as far as I know. That's what Good Friday's for. What Jesus did on Good Friday is he purified our conscience. There's peace on Easter Day. Peace with ourselves, there's peace with others. Peace with others, uh, Instead of conflict and turmoil in our relationships with one another, there is now peace that God gives. You, know, you think of the things that, that we separate ourselves uh, the, the things that we, that we use to mark ourselves off from other people. Race, a status in life, or gender. And we use those things to prejudice our actions and our thoughts against other people. We're so divided, so quickly divided. The Bible tells us that through Jesus Christ, God has made us one in Christ. And now there's peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, there's peace with the world. Again, this week when I was reading in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 48, the servant says, oh, had you paid attention, I wish you would have paid attention to my commandments. Why? Then your peace would have been like a river. Peace of God, peace for our past, peace for our present, peace for the tomorrow of our lives, a peace that calms our fears, a a peace that quiets our our conscience and silents our critics, peace that that gives us courage in the the times of a storm, a peace that brings perspective and hope in the midst of life's chaos and calamities. Peace be with you. All because Jesus rose from the grave. Because Jesus is risen, he is present. Because Jesus is risen, he brings peace. Number three, because Jesus is risen from the dead, he gives purpose. Purpose. Now think about that word purpose. How many of us this morning are living aimless lives of desperation? We make the stuff of this life our purpose. I need to get more. We measure our success and our significance by what we have compared to others. We make our careers and our kids, our, our earning potential, our purpose. We make our pursuits in life our purpose. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, uh, tells An article from Reader's Digest of a a couple who took an early retirement from their home in the Northeast. He was 59, she was 51, and they moved from the Northeast. They went down to Florida where they lived on their 30-foot boat, played softball and golf, and collected seashells on the shore. And Piper writes this in his book. He says, now imagine on that great day of judgment, and they stand before the Lord and they say, look, Lord, see my shells. Piper writes, he says, that is a tragedy. And people are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that dream. He writes, over against that, I write my protest. Don't buy it, don't waste your life. Oh, there has to be something more than a career, kids, stuff of this world, the pursuits of this life, the pleasures, the the happiness that we so long and crave for. There has to be more to that. The purpose that Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, has given to us in verse 21. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And now here I I want you to hear his purpose. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Throughout the Gospel of John, John has recorded for us the words of Jesus saying this over and over again, as the Father has sent me, as the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me to bring Him glory, the Father has sent me to speak His words, the Father has sent me to do His work. And in John chapter 3, verse 17, we know verse 16, right? For God so loved the world. That's the message of Easter weekend. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That message is still true, whether there's coronavirus or not, right? Verse 17. The Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And you think about what Jesus is saying here in this verse, as the Father has sent me, Jesus was sent to do the Father's will. And in coming to this earth, he was sent to represent the Father, to do his will, to secure the salvation for mankind. And now Jesus is saying to them and to us today, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Obviously, he's not sending us to be the Savior of the world. There's only one. His name is Jesus. However, he's sending us out as his messenger, as his ambassadors. We carry the message of Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus came into this world to show the world the Father, so now he is sending us out as his emissaries, as his representatives. We are to represent the Father. We are to be ambassadors of Christ. And this has to be our consuming passion, a consuming purpose. Now, think about purpose and passion. Right? Our purpose is what? When we understand our purpose and that purpose becomes our passion, it's, it's what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what keeps us up at night. Right? And when, as, as long as we make our, our careers, our kids, our the stuff of this world, our, our, the pursuits of this world, our purpose will forever live lives of aimless desperation. It is only when we begin to see our careers and our kids and the blessings that God has bestowed upon us and the, even the, the, the blessings that he's given to us to enjoy things in his life as the means, as the vehicle by which we can communicate the message of Christ where we find purpose for living. Purpose comes because of a resurrected Christ. Because Jesus is risen, he is present. Because Jesus is risen, he brings peace. Because Jesus is risen, he gives purpose. Finally, because Jesus is risen, he supplies power. He supplies power. Look again at verse 22. And when he had said to them, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. The only way That the disciples then, and you and I today, can fulfill the purposes of God for our lives in this world is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that that whether this was the uh, Jesus speaking in parable to the disciples, or Jesus the the Holy Spirit actually being bestowed on the Holy Spirit uh, on on the disciples that day, we know that on Pentecost Sunday, just seven weeks from Easter Sunday, that. God gave the Holy Spirit through the son upon the church, right? The spirit was given and we know that ever since then anyone and everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has been given the spirit at the moment of conversion. Now think about that the spirit is God's means to powerful living, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 as Jesus was uh, on the mount of olives fixing to be uh, fixing to ascend back into heaven. What did he say? He said, uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The only way that you and I can be a witness for Jesus Christ is through the power of his Holy Spirit. Not just for service, but it's for living the Christian life. What is it that enables the selfishness inside that resides, resides in the heart of Kevin Barkey? What is it that, that can defeat that selfishness? What is it that can help enable Kevin to love those who he would rather not love and, and, to, and to address and to overcome the impulses and the temptations and desires of the flesh? What is it? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of God's people that gives us power. And it's the living, resurrected Jesus Christ who gives us the power through His Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Receive the Holy Spirit. The resurrected Christ brings power to the Christian life. I want to end this morning with the story and then prayer and we'll end our time here today. But I want you to think about this. Christy Wilson was a missionary in Afghanistan uh, before, the, you know, before the Russians invaded Afghanistan back in what, 1979, 1980, whenever that was. He was a missionary back then. Christy Wilson is now in, in heaven. He used to be a missiologist, uh, missiology professor at uh, Gordon Cromwell Seminary in Boston. Uh, Christy Wilson tells a story of one time when he was flying out of Afghanistan. He was sitting on the plane. The door of the plane was closed. They, the passengers were buckled in their seatbelts. The flight attendants had taken their seats. The plane was not moving, and Christy Wilson looked out his window, and across the tarmac, he saw a man sprinting towards the plane. He thought, oh, this guy must have missed the plane. He's, he's, he's late. They've closed the door. And sure enough, he ran up to the pl- plane, began to bang on the door, and, you know, demanding that they open up the door, and, 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 and nobody moved. The flight attendant looked at the, her, her watch or his watch and said, uh, we're not going to, we, we, we can't. And, but this man kept on banging, banging on the door. And finally, the flight attendant went back to the door, cracked the door open to see who this person was. And lo and behold, the man that was banging on the door was the pilot. And I thought about that story, and I thought about that story as a parable of our lives. How many of us sitting in our seats, strapped in place, ready to go, but the pilot? The pilot is outside of our lives. And the message of Easter Sunday morning is that Jesus Christ must not only be your Savior, must be the Lord of your life. And I'm asking you today, this Easter Sunday morning, if you have never repented of your sin and believed on Jesus Christ, that today you would turn from yourself and your sin. It's not self-salvation. It's not I'll save myself later or I hope. No, today is the day you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Turn from your sin this day. Come to him. He is the one who died on Good Friday, who was one who was raised to life on Easter Sunday. Without him, there can be no peace and there is no purpose and there definitely is no power. And so today, I invite you to come to him. Many of us who are watching here today, um, many, many of you, you have, uh, there has been a time in your life where you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've believed on him, but today, you're living as though you can fly the plane without him, the plane of your life. And the result is that of peace, the peace of Christ, there's turmoil in your life. Whether it be conflict with others, fear and worry just gripping your mind, there's there's turmoil, there's no peace. Like the couple in John Piper's book, that, that living on their boat and playing softball and collecting seashells, You're pursuing the things of this world with no regard for Christ. Little regard for Christ. There's no power. No power to overcome the flesh. No power in service. It's because for you, you're living as though Christ were on the outside and self is ruling your life. This Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, Would you humble yourself before the Lord? Would you confess that as sin? Would you submit to him, not only as your Savior, but also as your Lord, submitting every area of your life to him?